Well, dear church family, we carry on with our new Bible study series in the Apostle Paul's uh, epistle to the uh, Romans. We begun last time with uh, an introduction to this glorious epistle to the Romans where we see so much gospel light, so much clarity concerning the Saviour and uh, the way in which a man, woman or child can truly get right with God. This evening we leave base camp as it were and we're looking at the text itself. Uh, In particular, firstly, we're looking at verses 1 through 7, Paul's salutation, his opening greeting as it were. Secondly, we're looking at verses 8 through 15, which speaks of Paul's longing uh, to go to Rome and to strengthen God's people. And thirdly, we're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17, that wonderful affirmation and declaration uh, that Paul gives concerning the faith, the faith once delivered to the saints. And so firstly then, Paul's uh, salutation, verses 1 through 7. Never really was there such a, a, such a most wonderful and important opening and address here uh, as there is in, in Romans. Such, so rich here in gospel doctrine. And so we almost have here in these opening verses once again a little overview of what we thought about last time. But I'm going to try to bring some new truths uh, to light this evening. Well, verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Notice here that uh, the very first word begins uh, with Paul. Paul here, his new name given to him is a Greek name. Uh, He is no longer Saul, he is Paul, because he would be the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his divinely appointed mission. And so the change of name, Paul, uh, not Saul here, uh, was uh, by divine appointment. It was not uncommon amongst the Jews to have their name changed upon an extraordinary event. And we know that, don't we, from Biblical history, you know, Abraham became Abraham. We know uh, Joseph became, uh, uh, Jacob became uh, uh, Israel, and so on and so forth. And so it's not uh, uh, uncommon that upon some extraordinary event that names would be changed. But more than this, Paul's original Jewish name, Saul, was changed to Paul by God because he would become, like I said, the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul, like I said, was a Greek name. And let us take note, beloved, upon conversion, our national identity becomes secondary, really, to our heavenly identity. We become citizens of heaven. We rejoice because our names are written in heaven, really. So we must... That is the the true pilgrim mindset. Uh, We become more affiliated, really, with our heavenly citizenship, our heavenly identity, than any national identity here. And so it's very telling that the first word is Paul here. And this is what we see by God's humble servant, Paul, 
who styles himself right at the, at the offset first as a servant, as a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, you, you, we see that straight away, a humble servant of Jesus Christ. He was the greatest of apostles. He labored more than they all. And yet here he styles himself, uh, course by the power of the Holy Spirit as a servant, not a rabbi, not some great teacher, not, a, not an, an apostle first, but a humble servant of the living God, of Jesus. Um, life, his life was completely dedicated as a servant in serving Christ. Christ was the centre, like a bond servant, of everything he did in his life. And we think of a servant, a servant in those days their immediate attention would be upon their Lord, upon their, their master. And this was exactly the same as Paul. Paul's immediate attention, everything that he did, was to the service of the Lord. Wherever he went, whatever he did, it was all centered around Christ. It was all upon the immediate attendance upon his Savior. Paul was also a servant in relation to his stewardship. Of God's house. So, in this context as well, he was also a, a servant of God's house, of his stewardship that he was given as a minister of Christ to the church. Uh, and this, of course, was his glory. That, that, uh, and this is true of, of all ministers, really. There must be an, an inner calling before there is an outer calling, there must be an effectual. Inner calling by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before any outward call, uh, he was a servant in terms of his stewardship, in terms of his ministry. Paul was not only a servant, but he was also, by divine appointment, an apostle. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Paul was not a self-appointed apostle. And we see this again in much of our, uh, sadly, in much of our culture now. We see these self-appointed apostles and the charismatic movement in the prosperity, the gospel that uh, lift themselves up to a position of apostleship. Well, this was not true of the Apostle Paul. Uh, his apostleship came, was a direct appointment from the, the resurrected Lord himself, according uh, to 1 Corinthians 15.8, Paul was the last of the apostles to be called. The apostleship closed after that. There's no such thing as an apostle nowadays as, as many people will lift themselves up to be. Apostles were commissioned from the risen Lord himself. And therefore their authority to the church then was unique as, as, as it were. Apostles were the immediate messengers of Christ to bear witness to what they had seen and what they had heard concerning the living Saviour. The Lord even said, didn't, did he not, in John 15, 23, ye shall bear witness, witness, said Christ to his 12 disciples, of what they had seen concerning Christ. They were given this perfect understanding of Christ's life and his doctrine as it, as it were. Paul had seen Christ after his resurrection. 
He was given immediately uh, a, a right understanding of Christ's life and doctrine concerning the gospel. And, and this divine authority as an apostle did not go to his head though. As he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, for I, am, for I am the least of the apostles here. So this authority did not go to his head. He saw himself as a husband, as a, a humble servant of the Most High God. Uh, and take, take note, beloved, grace, when grace first works in our hearts and it saves us, it humbles us to the dust, doesn't it? That's what grace does. It humbles us to the dust. We see ourselves for what we are and what we've been saved from. And that's why Paul is able to say, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a humble servant of the Lord God. It's my reasonable service to serve the God, to serve God. It's such a privilege to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace calls us not to apostleship, but it calls us to, to, to Christian service, to be, to be servants of the Lord God. When we are saved, we are commissioned. We are com every person that is saved is commissioned. God, when God saves someone, he calls them and he commissions them to service, to get busy, as it were, in their lives to serve the risen Savior. And so those who God saves, he commissions and uh, and so then grace first humbles, grace then commissions, as it were. And then as Paul, grace separates us unto the gospel of God. Paul was separated unto the law before, but now he's separated exclusively to live for the gospel, to live to the only way in which a man, woman or child can be saved, as it were. As a Pharisee, Paul was separated unto the law. But as a Christian, he is separated unto the gospel of God's grace. And is this true, dear friends, of us? Have we been humbled by grace? Have we been commissioned by the grace that is in Christ? And have we been separated unto the gospel? Because that's, that's the process. That's what, the, that's what grace does. It humbles us. It commissions us and it separates us, a life for a life, to live for our Lord and our Saviour. Well, concerning the gospel, verses 2 and 3 goes on to say, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. The gospel here is no, was no upstart uh, movement. It was no upstart doctrine. It was ever of old, wasn't it? It was spoken of in the Old Testament, right from the beginning, afore by, the, afore by his prophets of old. Countless prophecies and promises concerning the Saviour, concerning the Messiah, the Christ, and the grace that would be given through Christ. The prophets and the apostles all bear witness to Christ and to grace. And Paul is thus signifying how a man, woman or child in the Old Testament was to be saved. And it was exactly the same as in the New Testament. By grace, 
by grace in Christ. That's what he's signifying here. How people are saved now is exactly how the, the, the prophets uh, prophesied of old time in the Old Testament. They were saved by grace. Abraham believed in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was imputed to him, attributed to him. He believed that through his seed, uh, the Savior would, would come and that that Savior would be his Savior, would save him from all of his sins. And those in the past who believed in it were saved by grace. Those in the present who cried, thou son of David, thou son of David, who believed in the promises of God concerning the Savior and grace, they would be saved. And all us who look back, as it were, to the cross, to what the, the Lord Jesus Christ done then, his righteousness, his blood, as it were, we too, as we know, uh, are saved by his grace. Well, thus Paul also uses the full counsel here of the Holy Scriptures, including the Old Testament, to persuade all types of hearers. Remember that many of the, uh, the Jews and the proselyte Jews, they would only listen to the authority of the Old Testament Scriptures, uh, as it were. So Paul, very under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, li li listen, this is... All the Old Testament scriptures point to Christ, point to his, his grace. And they, they, he's giving more light to them, gospel light concerning the Savior. And he's also encouraging those in Rome in their, the faith that they had already received. In verses 3 and 4, Paul shows us how Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God in his divinity, according to his divine nature, he is the Lord, but he is also, according to his human nature, he is the seed of David, according to the flesh, that most prominent, one of the most prominent men in the Old Testament. And so the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1.14. The word became flesh. The word spoken of in the Old Testament of the Saviour. We, we beheld him full of grace and truth. We saw the promised Saviour as it was spoken of by the prophets uh, in the Old Testament. God manifested in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 The promised Saviour spoken of in the Old Testament who came through David's seed has come now. Jesus Christ our Lord has declared, verse 4, he says to be the Son of God with power according to the spirits of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Oh, let me just, before I get uh, move on to that, let me just say this. The Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity understands everything that we go through. Of course, he understands our pains that we go through. He understands our temptations and, and our trials. He acutely felt them. Here, yeah, like us, he understands the things that we go through in our humanity, being fully man, but also being fully God, of course, in his divinity. He has the power to save us and to deliver us from all these things. So it's, it's, a, it's important to understand 
uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he understands the difficulties that we face, even in our culture. As a man, he understood and went through the same trials and difficulties that we have to face in our marriages, in our families, in, in, in every walk of life. He understands those things. And so we don't have to live with those burdens, as, as it were. We can cry unto our, our Lord and we can know of a tender Father in heaven that understands our weaknesses and our trials and our difficulties. And we can also know of that power from above in answering our prayers, if, if it's done heartfeltly, as it were. And so Jesus Christ our Lord is declared in verse 4 to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ proved that he was the eternal son of God, not just the son of David, the son of Jesse and the son of, uh, of Joseph, as it were, according to his earthly lineage, but he is the eternal son of God. He declares that, he, 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 he proved that he was the eternal son of God by his miracles, that his uh, his works pro proclaim that he was the, the son, the eternal son of God. They were undeniable. He raised people from the dead. Uh, no one questioned, even his fiercest critics could not question him concerning his, uh, his divinity, his, his miracles. Um, they were unquestionable. And let me just add a little bit on that respect. And again, we must be careful of many in, in terms of uh, the prosperity gospel and the, and, and, uh, the much and charismatic movement who try to draw people in by fake miracles, as it were, um, which are, are always questionable. The Lord in broad daylight raised people from the dead. They were beyond dispute by, by all. And it was always to his glory and it wasn't, and even those he healed, he says, be quiet about it. <laughs> Don't proclaim it to the world, as, as it were. He did that so that they can have faith that he is the son of the, he is the eternal son of God. Not, but, not but to draw people in, but to say that you need faith that I am the son of God and I am able to save you from your sins. I am the Christ, I am this Messiah. Not, not for us to set up banners in the high street and, and, and people's most urgent need is to have their sins forgiven. And so he proved, he declared that he is the son of the eternal God by his works, by his miracles. He proved and declared that he was the eternal son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead, by being seen uh, by all those people. He proved and declared that he was the eternal son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. Who, uh, who could accuse the Lord Jesus Christ of sin? No one could accuse him of sin. He lived a perfect, holy, blemishless life, a just life, a holy life, a life always doing good, never doing wrong, always doing righteousness. And so... He was, he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness because, because he never did anything wrong. He was always holy. For in him dwelleth 
all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, says Colossians 2.9. We have a, a wonderful picture here of the Trinity. Verse 5 speaks of the fruit and results of Christ's power through the gospel, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Notice here that grace, sovereign grace is given for obedience to the faith, to live by faith and not to live according to sight, not to live by law, but by faith. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. By the law of faith. Paul and other servants of Christ had been commissioned to bring people of all nations, of all classes, of all different backgrounds, into the obedience to the faith. To obey the gospel. To preach the gospel. How did they do, how did they do this? By preaching the gospel. If we've received such grace, friends, we ought not, ought we not to show such grace? Ought we not to seek fervently uh, for others to receive such grace? If we've received grace, we ought earnestly to seek to show that grace to others and to bring others to the obedience to the faith. Well, verses 6 and 7 goes on to say, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here the emphasis upon a believer's calling. The emphasis here upon a believer's calling. Among whom, whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. And seven, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. This is not talking about an external calling. It's not talking about church attendance here, but it's, it's talking about an inward calling by the power of the Holy Spirit. Has there been a time in your life where you've been called, where Christ where, where, where you've left the world side and you're on Christ's side. There, there must be that internal calling. Uh, yes, the person, you've heard the gospel, you've been pre the gospel's been preached, but the calling is an inward one by the, by, the, by the Spirit. And it so convicts you of your sin uh, uh, that you fly to Christ, as, as it were, repentance and faith, there must be that effectual internal calling by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the calling Paul had received and of whom believers at Rome had received as well. Because he says, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. This grace, this sovereign grace and, and this calling alone is what makes us differ from others. And, th and that will help. That will help in so many ways if, if we remind ourselves of that. Who is it that makes thee differ from one another? That is a question I would encourage us to ask ourselves constantly. What, what is the difference between me and the hardened atheist 
who I spoke to a week ago. What is the difference between me and, and, her, and her Hamas terrorist? What is the difference between me and this, this person who's in this situation in life? It, who, who, who is it that makes thee differ one from another? It is but the sovereign grace of Almighty God. Like I said, grace, when, it, when we truly understand the meaning of sovereign grace, it, it will humble us. It will commission us and it will separate us unto the gospel. When we, when we truly understand, when it strikes through uh, to our, our hearts, the spirit-wrought calling is what separates us unto Christ. Like the Roman believers, we are beloved of God because we're hidden in Christ we, we have received grace. The only reason why we, are, we enjoy the special uh, love of God in Christ is, be, is because we're in Christ. If we were not in Christ, we would be enemies from God. We would still be under God's just wrath. It's only because we're hidden in Christ, our lives are hidden in him, that we are beloved of God in this respect. We are as the apple of his, his, his eye. Because Christ is now in our hearts, because he is, he is enthroned first upon our heart's affection and desires and principles. We walk by faith now in him who loved us and gave himself for us. Uh, we serve him in the spirit now, not according to our carnal fleshly impulses. We all have them. We all fail God. But we're not, we don't move now according like we used to do. It, it, our animal carnal instincts like a beast we, we understand we made for a higher purpose we, are, we serve God in the spirit of our minds with this understanding so we prioritize spiritual things in our hearts and our lives Christ is now enthroned upon our hearts we've received the effectual inner calling we've heard the, the shepherd calling us we've left all that that that's uh, irresistible grace and we followed the Lord and sometimes it's different for, all, for different people sometimes it can happen for me it, I knew I knew right then and there I knew that I can point you to the day the time and the hour in which I was saved it was it was immediate and of course there was an ongoing work that, that I couldn't I, could, I couldn't tell you about the four or five points of Calvinism I couldn't but I knew I was converted I knew I had new, new desires. I couldn't tell you everything about the Lord and, and things, but I knew I was saved then and there. But for other people, it's a gradual. It, it's it's, 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 it's a, as, a, as a dawning of, of the day, as a light comes. It can be over weeks and even months. But, but when, when, it started, when Christ and his blood and, and righteousness comes into your heart, uh, there, there is a moment, and you may not know that moment, but you're trusting in him. And there, the new principles and desires uh, and affections flow out, really, from that salvation. And so, uh, it is because Christ is now in our hearts. We've received the inner calling, we've turned from our sin, and we've received Christ by his grace. And Paul says that everyone that has received this effectual calling has become a saint. They've become a saint. And, and that basically means that you've been set aside for peculiar 
holy use. You're now a vessel of honour. And these vessels that God has given us are now filled with the Holy Spirit. Where we, we, we now see ourselves, as it says, in the, we're poor in spirit. Are we not? We need filling of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're set aside for peculiar holy use. We want to live for holy purposes now, for eternal purposes, for, map, for the great purposes of, of, of uh, soul winning, of, of seeing souls saved by God's grace. And beloved, beloved, let us never ever forget if we would desire to know more of our Heavenly Father's joy and peace, which the, the Apostle Paul is speaking about here, and grace, this wonderful benediction that he is, this, this wonderful blessing and benediction he's speaking about, we would do well to remember our calling. Never forget that. Remember what we, what we, why we've been called what we've been called to and who has called us, that will help. So, so many times when peace is temporary, temporarily removed in our lives and we think, where is the peace that I once knew? Where is the things? Well, that can often be traced back when we start to understand our calling, what we've been called to. We've been humbled, we've been commissioned, we've been separated for a reason. Uh, for, for the Lord, for his glory, to, to build up treasure in heaven uh, where moth or rust doth not corrupt. We are to seek first the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are li to live for his kingdom. Well, verse 8 through 15 speaks, uh, speaks of much of which I have already covered in our introduction to the Romans. But just a few points on, in this regard. Paul longs to see believers in Rome. He has been detained. Uh, he hasn't been to Rome here. That's why we have this glorious epistle. And are we, are we not thankful for that? He thanks God through Christ for uh, such like-minded uh, believers, for their great faith, which is spoken of throughout the world. Such was their love for the Lord. He fervently desires to preach the gospel in Rome. Uh, to them and to all, to all types of people, all types of men and, and people of different classes. And he, he, he wants to strengthen them in the faith. He wants to bestow a gift, he says. And of course, the gift he's speaking about is the gift of the gospel. And the, uh, it's a free gift, is it not, of God's salvation. A free gift, not of works, lest man should boast. He wants to preach to all types of people. And be used of the Lord to the salvation of souls there in that great city. But perhaps a few details which I have not yet mentioned. Firstly, look at Paul's prayer life. Verses 9. Paul's prayer life. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. That without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Take notice, beloved, that Paul's extensive labours and toiling and all his journeys was fueled by his constant prayer life. It was fueled by his constant prayer life, which of course is by grace. There were there were spiritual disciplines 
that were put in his daily routine. I serve with my spirit, he says, in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. And that is so important for us to remember, to build up those spiritual disciplines. Even if I'm feeling tired, it is go to the Lord. Have those dedicated times in the morning. Begin the day with, with the Lord. Make sure to, to have times to, even if you're, you're busy, to those, those sudden dark prayers, as it were, to the, Lord, to the Lord. Make sure to end the day with the Lord. Make sure to have if, if, if family devotional time with the Lord, prayer time with the Lord. Paul had built up these spiritual disciplines here uh, concerning his prayer life, and he did so in the Spirit here. And so it, it's, we must understand that, that we have a real enemy to our souls. We've also got the old nature, and the old nature does not want us to pray to God. The Lord God says, ye receive not because you ask not. And it's like, and I've said this before, so forgive me, but often it's like a child. Dad, when can you do this with me? You promised me, Dad. Uh, um, another time, five minutes later, Dad, you promised, Dad. Uh, okay, give me so another Dad, you said, Dad. And it's, that's a bit like us in, in, in our prayers, but more reverently, of course, is it's that persistent, heartfelt, earnest seeking of the Lord in our prayer life. Even when sometimes we think, well, my, sometimes I feel like the Lord's not listening. It's not that the Lord's not listening. It's, it's that he proves us often in our prayers. That if we are genuine, he hears our prayers, he, he answers our prayers, but uh, we must be found, uh, the more we pray, the more we'll be found in the will of God. We must pray according to his will and seek to pray according to his will. We'll take note, beloved, if we desire to keep busy in God's service, let us first keep busy in heartfelt prayer with these spiritual disciplines. We see from Paul prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of intercessory, prayers I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you. Pray for others. Pray earnestly, we, we, of course, as we, ha- we do, pray earnestly for one another's, uh, one another's need, needs, especially it's so difficult when you're sick or laid low or you're going through difficulties and trials. It is so often to pray for yourself. And so we need to pray for for one another. And so we see this with Paul, these prayers of thanksgiving, these uh, intercessory prayers. We see practical prayers, verse 10, making requests about a, a, a prosperous journey. We need to pray for, for practical things in our life. That's perfectly fine. Just as long as that, if we know from the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, if that's all we're praying for, then it's wrong. Of course, uh, we, our prayers must be mostly spiritual. Uh, but we, of course, must also pray for practical things. We see this all in, 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 in here. We see prayers about being found doing God's will. That's also very important. Verse 10. Do we pray to be found doing God's will? That's so important. And, of course, that takes a lot of selflessness. We must pray that our, 
Our lives will be more about the Lord and less about ourselves. And that means sometimes that we must pray for God's humbling. Remember Elijah. Pray that it wouldn't rain for three years. And that wasn't beneficial to him. Far from it. Sometimes we need to pray, Lord, whatever it takes, Lord, to humble me, to humble this pride, to, to take me away from this certain thing or to make me more dedicated, to make me more commissioned, to more separated of the gospel. So be it, Lord. I know I'm going to, I know it's, any chaste, chastening of presence is not nice. Our bodies are not going to enjoy it. The old natures are not going to enjoy it. But you know what? The spiritual life will flourish. We have to get to that point where we must be found in God's will. It's a painful process, uh, but it is a needful process. Well, another wonderful feature of Paul's introduction to the Romans, uh, this affirmation here and, and, and in his ministry, is his love for the brethren, his tender love for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have been saved by grace. And this is true of us. Do we love the brethren? Do, do we see the image of Christ within one another? We want to be around one another. We want to be found whenever possible amongst God's people. We want to be serving uh, uh, the Lord together. We, we fellowship together. We, we love one another in this respect because we're part of, a, of, of God's family now. And we, we see this this love, this love for the brethren that Paul has now. And remember, this was someone who hated the brethren, who killed and persecuted believers. And the opposite becomes true now. His priorities now are for, to love God's people. He longs to see them, verse 11. He longs to be with them. He longs to impart some spiritual gift upon them, to preach the gospel, to strengthen them, to bless them. He wants to strengthen God's people in the faith. He wants to add others to them, as it were. He wants to uphold them in, in prayer. He longs for that mutual comfort by the mutual faith, as it were. So it's fair to say that that's when someone is saved, they have a, a, a true love for the brethren. And it's, it's a powerful thing. They grieve when they're not, they don't see people. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you, and you've got to, and I know I mentioned this a lot, but you've got to then say, you know, to people that, that completely separate themselves. I know there are uh, sometimes certain reasons, but I'm talking for people who years separate themselves from a local body of believers. There will be very, very few mavericks in, 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 in glory. Very, very few mavericks in glory. Because the Lord's word does not lie uh, I know there are, are except, ex exceptions. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. I know that I'm saved because I have this special love for God's people. Uh, uh, the, 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 per the, the person can be completely a completely different character to what I am. And that's as a true church when you have people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, classes of life, different nations, and they all get along together. They put aside their petty differences and they live for the Lord God and for his glory. They have that oneness of heart and mind 
as it were, because all these other things are just going to pale into insignificance. John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. That's how the world knows that we're Christ's disciples, because we love the brethren, because we have this deep and abiding love. Paul not only preached the truth as it is in Christ, he demonstrated it, did he not? He demonstrated this this love in all his labours for the brethren. And again, this you get many people who who say all these lofty things, but there's very, very little force in it because their life and their actions say the complete opposite. Oh, they talk of love. They talk of these things. But their, but their life seemingly does not show it at all. And so therefore the force of, the, of their words, as it were, fall to the ground. Well, let these truths sink into our hearts. Well, Paul was unreservedly committed to the gospel. In preaching the gospel and living the gospel, he preached it to all types of men and women and children, just as a man who had to, to pay his debts, so, so he did. And in our final verses, in verses 16 and 17, we see Paul's great statement and declaration of the faith very powerfully summed up in these few verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God Revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This affirmation of Paul's Paul's is rich in gospel facts here, in gospel truths here. There is much for us to glean and to learn from, so I'm just going to give us a few in terms of doctrine and practicality. Firstly, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's where the power is. It's in the heartfelt, fervent preaching of the gospel. Churches that do not preach a regular gospel uh, uh, message, that do not have a a weekly gospel uh, message, have lost their power. And sad to say, that's that's what's happened in, in the United Kingdom. Many, many churches nowadays do not have a weekly, regular gospel ministry. And it's sad to say that's even crept in in, in so-called Bible-believing churches and and Reformed churches. And I've known of many, I've I've known someone quite close to me actually who who, who who went for a a particular role in the the, the pastorate uh, uh, to, to, to become a pastor of a particular church. And during his interview, he said, I'll accept it. And he gave a few terms. And one of the terms was, I'm going to preach a regular gospel sermon every Lord's Day, along with a Bible study, but a regular gospel sermon. And they, they, were, they were like, well, no, no, no. We, you know, it's all about sanctification. But I tell you something, if you've lost the, 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 a regular gospel ministry, you've lost the power. You've lost the lifeblood of a church, uh, as it were. And that is, the, that is what's happening to many churches today. 
And just think about it for one minute. And I've had someone that said this to me. I've, I, I said, why aren't you preaching the gospel? And this was a so-called Bible belief. Why aren't you preaching the gospel uh, 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 fervently every sort of So would you expect me to preach on John 3.16 every week? And I said, well, the gospel is, the gospel is, we've seen the gospel right throughout the scriptures. It's, it's, it's all there. And it's also, it's, it's a matter of unbelief as well. Because if you think about it, what incentive do God's people have to invite people to the service if the gospel is not preached? You know, people won't witness, won't bring people, people into the service. If the minister is not going to, through, through his heart, pour out his heart and preach the gospel and by faith stir the congregation up to invite people to evangelize, to, to, to do as much as possible to bring people in, what's the point of it all? It's, it's, a, it's a matter of unbelief. And, and sad to say, that's what's happened to the UK, to most churches nowadays. And it is a tragedy, friends, because we have it here in black and white. It is the gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. You take out the gospel from any church, the regular ministry, you take out the lifeblood. And I'm not saying numerically. You have churches which are growing numerically, big, uh, what you call them, mega churches. Oh, oh yes, they use worldly means, pull, pull people in. Yes, numerically, they've got hundreds and thousands. But spiritually, they're dead. They're lifeless. Uh, sad to say that, I'm not saying all of the people in there, but many within, within, within them don't even know the gospel. I mean, how many times have I spoken to people on the, on the high streets who said, I'm a Christian, and I've asked them a very simple question, are you born again? And they, they don't even know what that understands. Or they're saying a very mocking in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way, huh, you're one of those born again people, are you? It's, and this is why, because they don't, they're not under a regular, heartfelt gospel ministry. It's a tragedy, Fred. It's a tragedy, Fred. Most of the, many of these churches are filled with just nominal people, just worldly, and even people who are not even Christians, who just come to them for the acti- activities and the entertainments. And dare I say, even to find a partner, as it were. It's just filled with worldlings. That's the tragedy, Really, um, I'm sorry to be frank about these things, but I, I, I think it's warranted. Well, secondly, notice that the gospel, uh, the gospel power is ordained of God. It's ordained of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. This is uh, God's message to us uh, and how to get right with him. God exercises his power through the believing of heartfelt pre- the heartfelt preaching of his gospel. The, only the, the, the believing, heartfelt preaching of his gospel. And notice thirdly, again, that true gospel preaching contains certain facts and truths, which the apostle, we see here with Apostle Paul, that are imperative to understanding salvation. Firstly, it is the gospel of Christ that is, it is all about the person and work of Christ. It's not about us. 
It's not about this do-gooder religion, what we can bring to the table, as it were. It's all about him. It's all about looking outside of ourselves to someone who is holier and righteous uh, than us, who, who, who took our hell on that cross, as it were. When we look out of, ourself, out of ourselves to him for salvation, full and free and lasting, we will find it. So the, one of the first facts in terms of the gospel, I'm, I'm not going to go through all of them, is, is it is the gospel of Christ. It's about the person and work of Christ. This is no do-gooder do religion. It's no getting good by being a good social citizen, as it were, giving to the nuns, as it were, <laughs> walking someone across the street. All, you know, we, we, we are called to, to good works, but these cannot save us. This is about Christ's righteousness alone and not our own righteousness. God is holy and just. Man is sinful and depraved and every part of him has been corrupted. How can man get right with God? How can that which is crooked be made straight? How can the leopard change its spots? How can a man or woman or child be put right in a right relationship with God? Through the gospel of Christ, through his blood and through his righteousness. And so what are the fruits, therefore, of the gospel? We see this as well in terms of gospel conversion. Well, like the Apostle Paul, we're not ashamed to be called Christian. We're not ashamed of the gospel, the Apostle Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, He was ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. And, And sometimes... That is a, you could see that's a mark of believers wanting to go out on the high street and put their hand up and say, I'm a Christian, and preach the full truth, no matter, or, or at least support that work. Uh, and that may bring frowns, that may, people may deride you. People, I lost all my friends when I was converted, uh, pretty much. I used to work in a call center, 50 or so people. It was a matter of weeks. Uh, it was like one of those desert scenes. It was just a hay thing. It, was, it, it just went. Uh, we have to count the cost, as it were, when we become a disciple of, of Christ. People will think that we're weird, that we're a fruitcake, that we've become these fundamentalists, as it were. But it doesn't matter what people think. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I know what has happened in my heart and in my life. So we're not ashamed to be called a Christian a follower of Christ, someone we don't have to follow the, the broad road, the crowd any, anymore. We've been put on the narrow way. The narrow way. We're living for him. We live by faith and not by sight any, anymore. We live according to the Lord and to his promises and according to his word. We don't live according to how we used to live our, our lives, by our feelings. They can be incredibly we dare not trust our feelings or, or even our own hearts. We trust in the word of God. We trust in the gospel, in Christ. We lay hold upon the Lord daily uh, and depend upon him, depend upon his word. His word is a light and a lamp unto our feet and our path. So we walk by faith and not by sight. We begin to love, and this is what we see here in, the, in this a statement, this affirmation, we begin to love the unlovely. We begin to love the unlovely. For it is the power of God unto salvation, and it can e- easily be skipped over to everyone. 
to everyone that believeth. Yes, to persecutors. Yes, to the unlovely. Why? Because I was unlovely. Because I was this person. Because I was the chief of sinners. Because I was pulled from the pit of unbelief, as it were. So the, so the love, we see here the love that Paul has, it's because of the gospel. He wants to he show this love to brethren and to the lost because of the love that is shown us. So it's not Christ's, when Christ's love comes into our heart, when the gospel comes into our, our heart, it's not partial, as, as it were. It's not, it's not biased. We, we seek to show love to the unlovely. James 2.1 says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Our judgment must not be towards the rich because of their riches or because of their status in society. Or towards the poor, says Deuteronomy, because the rich can be full of the things of this world and they can forget the Saviour. And often that is the case. You go to most... Uh, uh, places in our society and you go to the affluent neighbourhoods and more often than not the doors will be slammed upon you. You go to the poor neighbourhoods and more often than not you'll have more people listening and probably more conversions from those neighbourhoods. And that's my experience anyway. The the rich often, they can be full of this world uh, and antagonistic towards the gospel but also the poor they can blame God for their poverty and, and, and so curse God. You remember Job's wife? Curse God. You've lost it all. Curse him now, as, as it were. Our judgment must be according to righteousness, to the, to the righteousness which is in Christ, his perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience on our behalf, not our, not our own. That must be our judgment. Um, and also our judgment must, must not our judgment must not be a respect of person in terms of nationality, in terms of Jews or Gentiles, as, as it were, because we're all under the same condemnation. And whether we are religious or worldly, if we're still outside of Christ, we're under God's judgment. Um, so we must be those uh, who preach the gospel to all believers. Our judgment in the gospel of Christ is founded upon his righteousness and not our own. And therein we must stand with Paul, despite all the pressures to become prejudicial, partial, biased, unrighteous, and ultimately unloving in the proclamation of the gospel to all types of people. Because if we are, it does become like that. But what of the, to the Jew first and also to the Greek? I know this is a much <laughs> contended uh, passage of scripture. Well, that's important. And much more can be said about that because, of course, I think there is an instance, uh, a biblical instance, which Paul speaks of where we must have a concern for Jews and for Israel. There is a biblical warrant uh, for that. Uh, they are the lump, as it were, uh, and which we have been grafted onto, the olive tree which we have been grafted onto. And so I think there is an instant, but we'll, we'll speak a bit more of that in depth. But generally speaking, we must have a love 
for all men who are made in the image of God. So I hope this evening we've just uh, uh, received some of these these truths to our hearts and uh, we seek to apply them. Next we're going to be talking about the wrath of of God it comes it comes it comes down to well uh, I hope and pray again that uh, these truths will uh, be cemented in our hearts and in our lives amen feel free to contact us at sovereign grace church in Tiverton email us at grace to seekers at gmail.com that's grace to seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.